want you to turn to Matthew chapter 1, and uh, we are spending a few weeks talking about this word, Emmanuel. Um, by the way, uh, if your Bible's on a phone, uh, pull your phones out and turn, turn to uh, whatever scripture you have. If you have old school scripture, that's cool. Um, if you have your phones out, uh, if you hear something good today, and uh, you tweet or you Facebook or you do something like that, would you just uh, pass on what you heard that was good? And allow somebody that wasn't here to hear what you heard today. If God speaks to you in some way, would you pass it on? Tweet it, Facebook, whatever. Let me pray, and then we'll get started. Father, I thank you for today, and I thank you so much for your word. I pray that you will give me um, words, your words. And Father, that the words that come out of my mouth, that the Holy Spirit will twist in such a way that it will fall on hearts in the way that you desire. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um, it's that time of year when we fall back on uh, easily asked and responded to questions. Okay? If we don't know somebody particularly well, um, there are a couple questions that are very easy to ask during this season. If you come across somebody between the ages of, I can talk and I have car keys. Okay? Uh, here's the question. You, you know it, right? The question is, oh, how you doing? And that's, well, I, 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 I went it. That is a question. I'm sorry, but that's not the question, right? Um, how you doing? And uh, you're talking to this little kid and, and you say, what do you want for Christmas? That's it. What do you want for Christmas? And this question um, it becomes our go-to if we are trying to connect with that person of that age. If we're trying to connect with somebody of the age of, I have bills, right, and over, um, the question becomes a little different. It's not, what do you want for Christmas? Uh, maybe you can guess this question. What are you... I heard maybe some of it. There's a lot of mumbles out there. That's all right. You're trying to guess what I'm preaching, and you can't do that. What are you doing for Christmas? Where are you going? Who are you going to spend Christmas with? Oh, your family's here, right here in Fort Scott, so you don't have to travel too far. That's great. Oh, they're in Kansas City, so you're traveling a little ways, but that's not too far. Oh, they're in Florida. Wow, you're going a long way away. But the question is, who are you going to be with? And there's this shift that takes place between uh, uh, kids and adults. For kids, it's what do you want for Christmas. For adults, it's who do you want to be with. Christmas is not about what we want anymore, but primarily about who we will be with or who we won't be with or who will be missing at the table or who will be unexpectedly present that we didn't anticipate. And so, Matthew 20, uh, 1, 23, we're talking about this word, Emmanuel. Uh, the virgin shall be with child, and they will call his name Emmanuel, for he will save his people from their sins. And Emmanuel means God with us. God with us. Kevin talked last week about the God part of that statement. Today we're going to talk about with, with, God with us. Our need for this with thing is very strong. 
even outside of the holidays, I mean, it's strong enough during the holidays. We want to be with people. We want to be with family. We want to be with friends. We want to have gatherings. We want to come together. And we just want to be with people. Even the rest of the year, this with thing is really strong in us. And I wonder why that is. I want to tell you about my saga with a ceramic frog. Um, Last Christmas, long story short, uh, my wife's family has this gift-giving thing where uh, lots of you have done it. You know, everybody brings a gift, and then you fight over gifts, and you trade, and all that good stuff. And, and everybody goes home with something stupid, and, uh, you know, it's Christmas. Okay. Anyway, um, we decided to stack the deck so that all of the presents at the end of the day go to Amy's mom. Okay? So everybody, for their gift brought something that was pink and something that would work in her kitchen, all right? And so we open these gifts one at a time, and we're trading them around. And by the time we get to the end of the gift giving, she realizes that every one of these gifts are not only pink, but they're all, which is her favorite color, right? But they are also things that would work in her kitchen. And at the end of the day, we, see, we yell surprise, and we give all the gifts to her, and blah, blah, blah. And it's a wonderful Christmas. Okay, well... That leaves, for the rest of us, there's about a dozen of us, that leaves Sally's gift, right? Because she brought a gift to, to, to play the game. That leaves Sally's gift as the only gift of the day. At this Christmas, there is one gift, and it is a Salvation Army prized ceramic frog with a sprinkler head on the top of it. And I thought to myself, I have got to have that. I've got to leave with this gift. So we cast lots, which is very biblical. We get the dice out and we're around the table and we're, we're rolling. And I come down to the last, you know, it's me and my, my newly, you know, nephew-in-law. And he's an Illinois fan and I'm a KU fan. And so now it's become a KU Illinois thing and we're going at it. And I prevailed. I won. I got the ceramic frog and I brought it back and I posted it on Facebook and it was great. And, uh, I had a place for this frog because springtime was coming and I knew I was going to plant some grass. And this was a, a sprinkler. I could use it. I could actually use this stupid frog. And so I sat it in my back, uh, on my back fence waiting patiently, patiently waiting until the, the days of spring where I could put this thing in my yard and actually see it in action. The Salvation Army ceramic frog. It had faded and it was nasty, but I knew it would work. Okay. So spring comes and I plant my grass seed and I put that frog out in the yard and I hook up the hose and I turn on the hose and nothing happens. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, the water's on and what could be wrong? And as I'm in the middle of this thought, the frog goes, boom, and explodes. It just explodes. Just, I mean, there's water and ceramic pieces everywhere. And you can, you know my first thought. I mean, I had fought for this frog. I had waited patiently to use this thing. And my first thought was, that was awesome. 
that was incredible. And I start looking around. Surely somebody saw that. Amy was in the, no, she's not in the, Davis, where's, da- no, he's not in the yard. The lens, she's in Kansas City. Is there a neighbor walking by? Somebody, a dog in the yard that saw this. No one, no one was with me to see the exploding ceramic frog. And I just got to say, you missed out. Okay. Why do we want to be with people when something good happens, when we win, when we succeed, when we see exploding ceramic frogs? Why do we want to be with people? That's just the way we're designed. Maybe it's, there's a clue in the Bible that the story of the Bible is with. In Genesis chapter 1, we are with God in the garden. In Genesis chapter 3, something happens. A fracture takes place and that withness that we had with God is broken in two. And now there is a divide and we're no longer truly with God. But the rest of the Bible points to this figure named Jesus who comes and he buys through, through his sacrifice on the cross. He buys the withness back so that we can be with God once again, the need for with comes from God himself, because in Genesis chapter one, it says we are made in his image and he has always been in a community of with. Do you get that? Genesis one verses one, two and three, we have God. And in the second verse, we have the Holy Spirit. And in the third verse, we have the word that was spoken. And John tells us, the Apostle John, that the word was Jesus. And so even in the first three verses of the Bible, you have God and the Holy Spirit and the Son. And you have this trinity. You have this three in one. You have this relational God that has always been with, in community, with then we get down to verse uh, 26 of Genesis chapter 1. And it says this, 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 throw, this phrase that throws a lot of us. It says, let us. God says, let us make man in our own image. There's a lot of questions about who's us. Who's us? Maybe it's angels. Maybe it's this, that. No, it's, it's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Because they have always been with. And we are created in their image. In his image. And since he has always existed in community, he now expands that community of with to you and to me and to the humans that he creates. And so it's natural that we would want to be with. God exists in community and all creation is expanded into that community. In the beginning, we had daily walks with God. Did you want, did, did, you've read that, right? Adam and Eve took daily walks with God. That was what was intended from the beginning. We were supposed to be with God every day. Can you imagine that? Leaving your house. Hey, honey, I'll be back. Where are you going? I'm going to walk with God. And what would you do on your walk with God? You would talk to him about exploding ceramic frogs. That's what you would do. Because we are meant to be with but sin happened and we lost those daily walks. And so the Christmas story is this great story where God comes in and he says, again, uh, as he has time after time through the pages of the scripture, he says, I want the with back. 
I want this relationship back. I want to fight for this thing that I had with you at one time and now I don't have anymore. And I'm going to send my son and I'm going to call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Because I want the with back. Now, the struggle at Christmas time is to impress upon you once again uh, how important with is. How important it is. Because these are ideas that we've heard year after year after year, right? God with us. Yes, that's what we talk about at Christmas time. And so my challenge today is to impress upon you once again how with really matters in your life. And there are six things that I've listed uh, in your sermon notes. If you'll grab those, if you're a sermon note taker. I want to give you all six because I'm not going to cover all six of them. And a lot of you went, woo, whoo, that's good. Uh, I'm only going to cover three in this service, and then I'm going to cover the other three in the, in the next service. And if you feel like you've been robbed of the three that I didn't cover, then there's an MP3 on our website. You go there, and you can, you can hear the other ones. Okay, so let me give the, all six to you. Just a few ways that with matters. It matters. Uh, it speaks to our pain. It speaks to our pain. It speaks to the poor is number two. It speaks to the poor. It speaks to our worth. Our worth is number three. It speaks to our wants is number four. It speaks to our fiction is number five. And number six, it speaks to our future. It speaks to our pain. It speaks to the poor. It speaks to our worth, to our wants. It speaks to our fiction. It speaks to the future. Did you get those? Okay, now. Um, I'm going to cover one, three, and five with you, okay? So it speaks to this with thing, God with us, speaks to our pain. No one here in this room is without pain. It's the way the world works. In fact, whoever you are, whatever view of God you have, your biggest struggle in life is with the reality of pain and suffering. And there are two responses that if you're a Christian... uh, that you can typically have when pain and suffering comes into your life. Here's the first response. The first response is, and this is very normal, okay? The first response is, something is wrong with me. I'm suffering this. This has come into my life. This is not playing the way out, uh, out the way that I wanted it to because I've done something. I must be a bad person. Something is wrong with me. Now, Sometimes that's true because we do stupid things and we get what we deserve, right? Because we do stupid things. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about those times that you have no control over the circumstances in your life and yet you are dealt suffering and pain. And one of the typical responses is there must be something wrong with me. And we might conclude, I hate myself. Because surely God wouldn't do this if I was different, right? That's a typical response. Now, what God with us tells us is that that isn't true. Jesus came, right? Did he suffer? Did he go through pain? Yes? Yes. Was Jesus an evil person, a bad person? No, not at all. As a matter of fact, He was the most perfect person that ever lived. Even his friends, if you can believe that, 
said that he... Think about what your friends would say about you after they spent three days with you, let alone three years. And these disciples looked at Jesus and they wrote, he is perfect. He is holy. He is the son of God. And so Jesus, the perfect, righteous son of God comes and he suffers and he goes through pain. What that tells me is it's not about good or bad. It's just the way life is. And God with me tells me that it's not bad people who suffer and good people who don't. Rather, the world is filled with great people who suffered immensely. Jesus is the prime example. But even this last week, we could put Nelson Mandela in that category. How many, how many years was he in prison? Right? Good people suffer. That's just the way life is. But with gets rid of this idea that something is wrong with me and that's why I'm suffering. Because Jesus was perfect and he still suffered. Here's the second response. Typically, it's the opposite. It's, I don't, I'm not blaming me. We instead throw the blame to who? God. Yeah. I'm suffering because God, something is wrong with God. And, and a truly loving God wouldn't do this to me, surely. So there must be something wrong with God. But Emmanuel, God with us says that that isn't true either. It says that my God voluntarily came down and suffered far worse than I'm suffering right now just so that he could destroy the suffering and pain in this world. You can say what you want to about pain. At the end of the day, um, we could explain it. We could try to explain it away. But at the end of the day, there's still cancer. There's still abuse. There's still disease. There's still funerals. And the thing that this with thing gives us is the idea that even though the pain still kicks at us from time to time, we have a God who has scars. We have the only God in history that has scars. We have a God who is willing to go through pain with us. And he says, I am in this with you. And that should revolutionize your approach to suffering. When it comes, and it always does, We can move through the suffering knowing this is temporary. God loves me through it. And also, and this is most important, he has waded in a far more deeper river than this one that I'm wading in. He has gone through pain before you. What does the psalm say? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Here's number three. Number three. This with idea speaks to our worth. It speaks to our worth. I have a question. How does one acquire value and worth and acceptance in our culture? Uh, Don't try to answer that. I'll answer it for you. Here's, Here's the way. To be valuable in our culture, you have to do something. Do something. It can be anything, really. Just do something. And so, rock stars go out and write their music, and they sing their songs, and they do their concerts, and they amass a following, and they get on the magazine cover. And financial prow- people with financial prowess build, you know, they invest here, and they trade here, and they buy and sell here, and they build this financial kingdom, and they get their picture uh, on, on the magazine cover. And uh, uh, politicians 
are do well at negotiating and working people and, and working angles and just bringing people together. And they develop power that way. And in order to have worth and value in our culture, you have to do something. Just do something. And it really can be anything. Did you hear about the guy this last week that fell asleep on the airplane? Anybody hear this? He is on a flight and uh, the, the weather is bad all over the country. He falls asleep on the plane. The plane lands. Apparently, everybody gets off the plane. The stewardesses check the aisles and they claim they didn't see him. He's in the seat sleeping. And so he wakes up to a totally dark inside of a plane. Uh, he goes to the front and the door is locked. They locked him in. And uh, so he had to call on his cell phone. He had, luckily, he had a cell phone. He had to call on his cell phone and uh, to have people come rescue him. Now, he's all over the news. What did he do? He fell asleep. It can be anything, right? On the other hand, you are devalued in our culture if you are found to be unable to do something. This is... Uh, tragic and funny at the same time. Uh, during Nelson Mandela's service this last week, there was a signer. Did any of you hear about this? Um, the guy who was signing for the deaf audience. Um, to, the, to most of us who don't know the deaf sign language, he was just doing, you know, what, what you do. But come to find out, he was actually just making up the signals, they were totally fake. And, and rightly so, the deaf community was like, what are you doing? We can't understand. This, this guy is faking the sign language signals to the, I mean, the most important funeral that we've had in years. And all of these important people are speaking. And let's just say it was not a good week for this sign, signer guy. Uh, who is who is faking his way through and if you can't do something then you are devalued most of us have a toe in that water um, it's not because we fake our way through a sign language uh, speeches but it is because people find out what we do and sometimes the line goes like this oh oh you're just a housewife Oh, you're just a plumber. Oh, you're just a farmer. Oh, you're just a waitress, right? And we feel devalued. But Christmas comes. And the God who is with us tells us something else entirely. You heard it in the Lynn's song. What is the line? Long lay the world in sin and airy pining... Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth, worth. With us, gives us worth. With tells me I am valued, I am loved, I am accepted. I am worth something because God came to be with me. Do you realize who got invited to the first manger scene? Shepherds. Shepherds are scum of the earth in that society. Shepherds are not al allowed to testify in a court of law because they were seen as thieves and scammers. And yet, 
God decided not only to invite them, but to send an angel choir to sing, to give them a singing invitation to the manger scene. These are worthy people in God's eyes. The Magi. If you read the Old Testament, uh, you will come across a law that says stargazers are to be put to death. What were the Magi doing? They were looking at stars. They were gazing at stars. They should have been dead by the Old Testament law. And yet God felt like they needed to be there enough that he literally moved stars in the sky so that they could come and worship. God is interested in all of them. He wants to be with all of them. And the Bible is filled with pages and lists of people who were not acceptable. They didn't measure up. They didn't qualify. But God wants to be with them all. And we are in that book. He wants to be with us. Now, let's dig a little deeper because this gets really compelling. If God wants to be with us and if he is with us, it's not a uh, was with us or will be with us. It's an, an is. He is with us. If that's true then every moment that we live is a potential to encounter God. And suddenly, if that's true, then where I work doesn't matter. What I do all of a sudden doesn't matter. Do you see how countercultural that is? What matters is who's with me. Who's with me? And God is with me. My culture says, your worth is based on what you do. But heaven says, your worth is based on who you're with. This is what the older brother didn't understand in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 is the story of the prodigal son. You, re- you remember that? And the prodigal goes away. He spends his uh, wealth and wild living. He finally comes back and the father opens his arms and welcomes his younger son back. And the second half of that story is that there's an older brother... And the fatted calf is killed for the younger son. They have this huge party. The whole town comes. And the older brother is out in the field. And the father says, I want you to come into the party. And the older son gets really angry. He says, I have worked. I have slaved for you all of these years. I've done everything that you've ever asked. You've never thrown a party for me. And yet this son, this one who despised you, took all of your money and went off and wasted it. You welcome him and you throw him a party. You've never even killed a goat for me. What does the father say? The father said, you have always been my son. Everything I have has always been yours. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, your value to me is not based on what you've done in the field. It's not based on the work you do. Your value to me is based on the fact that you're my son. You're my son. God with us tells us the exact same thing. Your value is not dependent on what you do, the hammer you swing, the keys you punch. Your value is because God is with you. You are loved. You are valued. You are worth unimaginable riches because he is with you. Number five. With speaks to our fiction. I like this one. And uh, this needs a little explanation. And here's what I mean. Everyone loves a story. It's why we go to the movies. It's why we read books. 
It's uh, why we cherish songs uh, that are stories, right? All the stories that last, all the stories that have staying power seem to have the same themes involved. Have you ever noticed that? Um, There are themes like this. There's probably a dozen of them that we could throw out. But there are themes like this. Love wins in the end, right? Think back to the last three, four movies that you've seen and see if these themes fit. Love wins in the end. Uh, Evil is crushed and sent away. Courage and faithfulness and loyalty are held up as worthy of aspiring to. Uh, Character is more important than success. Or here's one. Human life is more important than a mountain of money. Now, Think about those, those, the books you've read recently, the, the movies you've seen recently. Do those movies, no matter how twisted they may, may be throughout the movie. I mean, the overall theme, right, is one of goodness. It's one of love wins. It's one of character triumphs. It's one of human life is important. And here's the question. Why do we latch on to movies that share those ideas? Why, why do we so readily latch onto those ideas in the movies and the stories that we see and we watch? Why is it so compelling to us that the not-so-attractive-in-the-beginning girl, right, is the one that we know the entire movie, uh, as we're watching it, we know that the hero is supposed to find this person. And at the end of the day, they're supposed to be together and we root for them to find each other before the credits roll what evidence evidence do we have that it should be that way can science give us a lab test we can do to say it should be that way and yet no it can't but yet deep down all of us understand that that's the way it should go we we, we all know that love should win. We all know that the hero is supposed to get the girl, that the victim is supposed to be rescued. We all know that Buddy is supposed to say goodbye to Mr. Norwal and travel from the North Pole to find his real father. And by the end of the movie, they have a great relationship. That's how it's supposed to go, right? It is. Life is supposed to be happily ever after. Now, if you're a Christian, it's easy for you to see why people think this way. Because everybody else has to say as they walk out of theater, oh, that was great, it moved me, and I'm excited, and maybe I had a little joy, and I had a little hope just for a moment, but too bad it's not true. Too bad life doesn't work out that way. Those things never really happen. What a sad way to live. But Christians have a different outlook. Why? Because Jesus is with us. Jesus broke into the world and is with us. And because of that, we get to say with confidence that those stories are true. Those stories do happen because it did happen. Jesus made it happen. And so when we read Beauty and the Beast and we, we get this idea that there's a love that can overcome our prisons and redeem us. Or, or we read Peter Pan and it says there's a land where we can fly and never grow old. Or we read Sleeping Beauty uh, and it says that we're in a living death. But there's a handsome prince that's going to come along and wake us up. Christians can say, yeah, that's true. I heard it put this way, that in every story that's being told, there are two stories. In every song that's being sung, there are two songs. 
And for a Christian, that's absolutely true. Christians have this idea that there really is a prince that will come and slay the dragon. Because that's exactly what Jesus did. So, your homework this holiday season. When you go to that movie, when you read that book, when you do that story, when you hear that song. Would you remember the story that that song, that movie, that book points to? Jesus is with us. At the end, the Bible concludes this way. Revelation chapter 21. That God is with us. I said the whole Bible is a story, right? We were with God. We lost the witness. Jesus came to buy the witness back. And in Revelation 21, the, the witness will finally be restored to what it was in the beginning. Here's what John says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And then I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And then I heard a loud voice on the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. With, with, with. That's the end of the story. Because Jesus has come, we get to be with God again. The exciting part is that we don't have to wait for the end to be with God. That invitation happens right now, even today. Maybe you haven't ever made that decision to be with God. And that's why the invitation is offered. So let's pray. And then I'm going to have Jerry come and we'll stand. And if you need to make that decision for the first time to be with God because he is already with you, then you come. Father, I thank you for the things that with tells us. I thank you so much that the stories are true. I thank you so much that you have been with us in our shoes. You've walked in our pain, in our trial, in our suffering. And you know what it's like because you've been with us. I thank you so much that because you are with us, we are worth something. We are valuable. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody here today that has never experienced that worth, that's maybe walking through pain, that maybe needs to hear the story, the real story, would you work in their hearts? Would your Holy Spirit prompt them of their need? And it's in Jesus' name I pray.